What's going on, everyone, and welcome into the third episode of Quick Nine presented by the Odds Breakers. On this week's guest or this week's show, we have very special guest Joe Idoni. You can find him on Twitter at TourPix and his weekly podcast, Preferred Lines. Joe, thanks for joining me today and welcome to the show. Yo, yo, what up, Patrick? Great, actually phenomenal pronunciation of the last name. Not many people, if any, get that right. So uh, you must you must know some Italians, I imagine. <laughs> I made sure to do my research before this uh, to not screw up that last name for sure. Um, all right, let's get into it here. So you're from South Florida originally here. Um, in terms of your background in gambling, kind of how did you start to get into gambling overall and then kind of more specifically golf betting? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm originally from Ohio, actually. So okay. I went to school there, um, started basically very recreationally, like betting on games. I would say like starting around freshman year of college kind of continued down that path and ended up like really realizing that my favorite sport to bet on was golf. The one that I felt that I had the most advantage on was golf. The one that I felt that had the most friendliest odd screen in front of me was golf. Um, So I poured a lot of eggs into that basket and continued to sort of hone in on what worked for me and what didn't work for me over the years. I started to log things like course reports and I have like a Google drive document that I update every year. That's going back like six, seven years now on notes from every tournament. So I feel like I've really sort of developed a system that I've sort of found some success in, um, stumbled upon a lucky DraftKings winner a few years ago in a drive to the green contest. And like, kind of use some of those funds to spur what I like to do really, which was sort of talk about golf in sort of a podcast format and a stream format with some of my friends in the industry and be able to sort of put those funds to better use for me, which is sort of the, the gambling and the wagering side of golf. Yeah, for sure. So I've seen you, you have several articles out there. You've kind of worked for the odds checkers us. I see you kind of put some picks out there. But you started the Preferred Lines podcast in 2021. What kind of made you want to start that and kind of how did that uh, really come to be? Yeah, so I had been a guest a few times on the Fantasy Golf Pod, which is a friend of mine, Chad Eckert's show. So um, COVID shuts the world down, COVID shuts sports down, and Chad and I kind of communicated throughout that process. We had a lot in common. We both had young kids during the time. So we had just talked and I had kind of told him that um, I would love to do a gambling show. And at this point, I had maybe eight, six to eight hundred followers. I really had no reputation. I really had no credibility whatsoever. But he kind of knew and saw in me that I was kind of good at it and like sort of comfortable on camera as much yeah. as you could be for never really doing it before. Um, and we kind of came up with the idea to to start a gambling show. So that was sort of the genesis of it um, in just boredom and needing to find something to fill time during those times when the world was shut down. And then we sort of launched as golf was the first sport to come back since, you know, Chad has basically I've sort of taken the reins on the show. He wasn't as much, he was more into the fantasy side. I was more into the betting side. So he sort of maintained his focus there. He had a third kid on the way. I sort of took the reins on the gambling side of the show, but we're still close friends. We still partner and support each other's content. And he actually is one of the, the main sponsors of the show as well. 
Yeah. So obviously with starting a podcast, there's a lot of ups and downs that come with that. I guess, is there anything that kind of you specifically or any information really that you've kind of found beneficial in providing a quality golf podcast and one of the more popular golf podcasts, to be honest? Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that. So um, yes and no, I don't think that I've achieved like in being completely open and honest with you. I don't think that I've achieved like this levels of success that um I want to be at or even I had hoped for, but it's never really been about that for me. It was about exploring a hobby. It was about trying something sort of on my own and putting myself out there and being vulnerable and trying to open myself up to new people. And I've been super fortunate to have a lot of um, what I now consider friends who are in the sort of golf podcast space who have helped me like a great deal. They have given me professional advice. They've given me personal advice and the main thing for me is, in, and I struggle with it, to be honest with you, Patrick, but the main thing that I try to focus on is less focus on numbers and growth and all of this kind of stuff and just pour your heart into the content itself, make it valuable for you and try to be genuine with the people who are willing to take 30 minutes to an hour out of their time to listen to you talk about golf really embrace those relationships and try to form some sort of connection there between you and the person watching your show. And I think that that's been the most helpful to me. So, you know, while I'm not to the point where I have, you know, 10, 15,000 listeners every week, I do feel like I have a connection with each and every one of the people who do enjoy my show. I communicate with them through DMs all the time, like I did with you. And um, I really just try to embrace that connection and, and turn avatars into people and really yeah. think of it that way and try to form try to form friendships over the internet which i know is a scary and tough thing to do but uh, i do my best to it and it sort of helped me to grow to where the point it is at today yeah no that makes a lot of sense so in terms of kind of breaking into new markets you now host a power hour with jock market and there's a lot of kind of different ways to approach golf gambling. As we know, we have kind of our standard form of betting, your outrights, your placements, and then your DFS lineups. Those two markets have kind of dominated golf betting for the past few years. However, jock market now comes into play. And it's a completely new way to kind of gamble on golf. And basically, it's kind of related to stocks. It's almost like each player is a stock. Kind of how did you get into that? And then what's kind of been your experience with that compared to your other markets as, such as your kind of standard form of betting and your DFS lineups? Yeah, sure. Happy to talk about it. So I, I discovered it through Rick initially. Yeah. Um, he had kind of, they had reached out to him and he had a little promo code and I tested it out. And I've, I've had this idea before um, and thought about how this could work. I've seen it attempted to be executed by other companies in the past that weren't successful at it and when i first got on the plot platform of jock market and saw like the level of strategy and ingenuity it took to execute an app like that i was yeah. i was really impressed i went to rick um and i was the one that came to him and was like look we should partner together and do a show for them um so we've been doing that ever since pertaining to golf what i genuinely enjoy about it is you are not necessarily like at any disadvantage, no matter what point you're at. Like that's one of my hesitations with some of the, where the DFS stuff is going. And you see a lot of these tout sites and you see people that 
will group think things and they will put out plays and everyone will run the same lineups and there's 150 of them and there's optimizers and all this stuff. You can't really do that here. Whether you have $5 in the app or $5,000 in the app, you have the same access to the exact same players. The other part B that I really like about it is every single player is live. So every player has a stock trading price, whether they are the best player in the field or the last guy in in Monday qualifying. So each time they incrementally increase or decrease that price of that player, it creates a break even point. So you can be asking a guy to finish fifth or better for the week to break even some of the lower end guys. All you need them to do is make the cut and you are through and you are profitable. Um, I found a lot of success at it. I hope that um, the other people that I've shared it with, and I know many of them have found success with it. Their team is extremely generous in terms of giveaways and customer service. And I think that they are really on the genesis of building something here. uh, And it continues to approve like each and every year they've, they've added so many new elements to it and introduced, which I think have been great. Yeah. All right. So we're going to now get into a few personal questions here. Three parter here, your favorite major, your favorite tournament or course outside of a major, and then your favorite course you've uh, personally played. Okay. So majors first, um, I, I have to go masters. And the reason I say that Patrick is there's so much anticipation for it every year. Albeit, I will say over the last five years, my favorite major to watch has been the PGA Championship. I thought that they've had the best set of courses. I thought that they've had the most compelling finishes. I thought they've had the tightest leaderboard and the best setup. The Masters hasn't really delivered that recently for us, nor has the U.S. Open, nor has the Open Championship, especially this last year when it was kind of a runaway early in the morning with Brian Harmon. So that major has just delivered in the most recent years, I think when they started to um, put a new group in charge of the setup and the course selection, we've seen a lot of, of genuine great changes. But I get so excited. I'm excited for the Masters now, and we're six months away. So it's hard for me to really uh, replicate that after you get a couple going. I would say that... Um, Non-major favorite course is the Memorial. It's the first tournament that I attended. I I mentioned that I I sort of grew up in Ohio. I remember fondly going to that tournament um, with buddies and like college days and going down there and debauchery. And like, (laughs) I remember there was a rain delay one year and there was a stoppage in play. And we had kind of, there was like a house party and we couldn't really make it to one of the shelters. And we kind of just walked in and strolled into somebody's house party. And they were like, looked at us at first. And then someone said like, that's Joanne's kids. And they were like, okay, come in. And we weren't <laughs> Joanne's kids. And we ate all their food and we drank all their booze. And then we went back out when the raid delay ended. But no, I have a ton of fun memories from that event, which, which was really special to me. They're really the only course I've played two courses that have have held um, PGA Tour tournaments. So I played where the Heritage is at um, up there in North Carolina. And then I also have played many times PGA National, which hosts the Honda Classic. So that's the one that I have the most experience with. I've been fortunate enough to play it a couple of times on the Monday after the Honda Classic. So we were able to sort of play it with the same course conditions and pin locations and tournament setup, which was extremely like challenging. It's hard to really put into words. But um, yeah, that that's my favorite course that's on tour that I've actually had the chance to play. Yeah, certainly two good courses. uh, Yeah, courses on tours to play for sure. Um, 
So in terms of approaching a tournament for your betting, are you a guy that kind of does his own research beforehand, prices out the players, or do you kind of look at the odds boards first and then kind of go from there? And then also in terms of stats, do you have a kind of a go-to website that you uh, rely on each week as well? Yeah, in terms of stats, I, I sort of use a blend of different ones. I use Rick Run Good to sort yeah. of, I love some of his custom modeling. I love some of his his trend stats. And I like the fact that you can basically, with Rick's, do any amount of rounds, right? So like toward the yeah. end of the season, I was looking very short term at statistics toward the end of the PGA Tour season. So last 16, last 20 rounds, like I wanted to know how his player is playing right now. Yeah. Um, more so toward the start of this season in the fall. And as January gets, I'll be mo- looking much more long-term, but I use fantasy national as well. That's where I build my models. I use data golf to get a lot of the course history stuff and historical data from different events. Those are sort of my three go-tos in terms of, of how the weekly process starts. So I mentioned that I keep the Google drive of course notes. I'll review that typically before either early Monday morning or the Sunday before just to give myself a refresher on what type of skill set I'm looking for. And then I'll just assess the odds board. I don't make my own odds. I'll look at it. I'll assess it. I'll, of course, um, rely on some of my friends and text threads and people who I know who are also very good at at sort of picking winners. And we have, you know, we all kind of will spout off on Monday morning and try to catch the best odds. And then I think that just odd shopping, having different outlets is so, so key in golf to having success long term is I think it was I don't know who it was, maybe DG betting or somebody put out a tweet the other week was like, if you have money on one account and a guy is 18 to one, you have zero money on another account. and He's 22 to one. What do you do? And it was a poll. And to me, you always transfer money to the other account yeah. and take the 22 to one. You have to take the best number. You have to have multiple places to shop. And the importance of getting an extra five, six, I've seen 15 to one differences on a single player frequently in golf. And you have to take advantage where it lies um, and make sure that you're getting the best current price available or do your best at it. Yeah, so that kind of leads me to my next question here. I guess you mentioned kind of getting the best price, and I think that's kind of the one of the keys for long-term success here. And in terms of kind of your expected return out, outright bet, are you kind of hoping to hit every kind of eight tournaments, seven tournaments? Everyone has kind of something different. And then part two is do you start with your outrights or do you kind of work your placements in first and then come back to your outrights as well? I start with the outrights first um, in terms of – uh, what I'm trying to get in terms of return per event, I stick to seven to eight to one. I'd be lying if I said that that never varies a little bit. And I'll assess each odds board with that goal in mind to kind of hit those marks. But eventually, sometimes I'll be higher. I'll be 10 to 11 to one. And there will be events where it's five. You know, it's yeah. just kind of like if I have a really good feeling at someone at the top on nine, 10 to one. I don't often play the top of the board, but there are a few tournaments where I'll feel like sets up perfect for a player. And I just think he's going to win. And I'm not yeah. going to shy away from a 10 to one ticket on a player. It's like betting a tight end to score the first touchdown or, or betting like someone like the Ravens to win the Super Bowl. Like it's not yeah. a crazy outcome that never happens. Um, so I don't shy away from it. But I think that trying to aim for seven to eight to one return on a betting card. Now, whether that's five golfers, whether that's nine golfers, as long as you stick to that mark on a return on any player that wins across your card, 
you basically need to hit six and a half winners a season. I figured out. So as if you can get to that seventh winner during a PGA tour season, you had a profitable year. That's what I aim for. I've been lucky enough to do that now four consecutive years. So um, we've had a good little run going and looking forward to hopefully continuing it this next season. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it's interesting too. I always ask that question in terms of kind of your expected uh, return on outright, because when I first got into golf betting, at least there's really no articles that kind of tell you how to construct a card. Mm -hmm. Everyone kind of has their own little secret and everyone kind of does their own little thing. But then you ask and they're like, well, I, I kind of just hope for winners here while other people have certain uh, kind of set numbers that they're trying to hit. So it's one of the yeah. more intriguing questions I like to ask people. You're absolutely right. And you know what? I did a segment um, on my show. It was maybe a year ago where I basically I had gotten the question so many times. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to pull it up on the show. And I pulled up like a spreadsheet and I was like, OK, this is how you do it. You want to bet seven golfers. You want seven to one. If I'm betting this guy at 15 to one, this is how you stagger your bets to hit that amount. And I got so much positive feedback about it. One of the things about the golf season that's kind of wild and different than other sports is we sort of have it now. And I think that people like you are doing a great job of sort of filling in with good content that people want to watch. But um, we don't really have the whole giant off season and lead up to a season. And then after you get so stuck in the monotony of week to week and every Monday morning looking at the odds right after that tournament ends you sh immediately shift gears to the next one and oftentimes myself I, I do this and I just sort of assume that everyone watching my show is a seasoned golf better and sometimes taking a step back and applying a little bit more teaching into a show or into your content I think would be a universally helpful whether you've done it forever and just want to hear somebody else's process or whether you genuinely want to know and you're new and you're six months into golf betting and you just want to see um, what is a good strategy that other people are sort of deploying so i think there's definitely room in the golf space for more content like that yeah no i agree um in terms of common mistakes i mean you see you see it all over the place i mean a big one i guess that is most prevalent is kind of unit allocation like we talked about but is there any kind of other common mistakes that you really see across the industry especially kind of first timers make when they get into golf betting yeah it's unit allocation it's inconsistency it's i feel good about this week i'm gonna put 500 on it more than i normally do and just changing your bets week to week the other one that i don't do and i don't ever advise to anyone is um like betting in play or hedging yeah. a good bet that you have. Um, I'm a strong advocate against it. I've been pretty vocal on it forever. And there are people that disagree and, and sharp betters who I actually respect and oftentimes disagree. But my feeling is if I have a guy at 25 to one and he's tied for the lead and you have a great position on him, you are finally at the point where you're the book. And what I mean about that is the odds have flipped from in favor of the giant sports book who are giving you poor odds to begin with that you have to take. Now they're in your favor and they're chasing you because you have a guy that's 25 to one that they now have on their board at three to one. Now, could he lose that event? Absolutely. But the amount of times that people do not close on Sunday, that someone storms up the leaderboard, that you end up trying to hedge out into the wrong space 
that you end up minimizing that 25 to one bet because you hedged it out and now you cut that in half. I think you're best off if you felt good about it and you're in an advantageous position let it ride. You may lose a couple of them. And there was a point last season where I had four consecutive second place finishes. Two of those were in playoffs. I had a Denny McCarthy ticket at the Memorial at a massive number and I didn't hedge it. You know what? Yeah. And you could say I should have hedged it, but the reality is, is I think in a one whole scenario like that, there's a good chance that someone like Denny or someone like whoever can pull out a tournament and you have your full position. And over the course of a season, that sort of stuff tends to bounce balance out and the coin flip won't go your way one time, but it will another, but never give away an advantageous position. Never fold a winning hand basically. Yeah, I completely agree. Especially going into Friday or Sunday, excuse me. You always get those questions too of, well, he's tied for the lead. Do I take the other guy? And the answer is really no. Um, mm-hmm. Even I you could have so. a guy come back for three three strokes back and win it too. So yeah. hedging in golf is extremely hard to do. I guess the only area that I would maybe consider it would be if you go into a playoff and have an exorbitant amount of money on it. Right. Um, that's kind of the only area that I see is really kind of yeah. worthy of hedging. But outside of that, I usually kind of stay away from it too because like you said, you're on the wrong side of it sometimes and your guy's got a two-shot lead. But you also have a guy who comes back from five on Sunday. They had a massive ticket on too. So yeah, absolutely. Does, and there are yeah. professional sports bettors and people that are doing this weekly to earn a living, right? Yeah. That's not me. I'm a, I'm a, I have a regular job. I have two kids. This is fully uh, something that I'm invested in. And my wife would tell you it's a full-time job and I spend yeah. way too much time on it. But this is nothing like I'm not going to be able to I'm not going to miss a bill because I miss a bet. Right. If I'm in a great position, I want to keep it. I would rather not potentially cut my profits on the event and know that things like that tend to shake out pretty evenly over time. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And then in terms of kind of breaking into the golf industry, I guess any advice for that? And then as well as like you've mentioned before, too, when you started your podcast, you only had what less than a thousand followers. Any advice for kind of growing your personal brand as well along with that? Okay, so I think two things, um, and this is what has sort of worked for me, and I don't know that it will work for everyone, and I don't know that it's the best advice, but I'll share with you what kind of has for me. And number one, what I mentioned in sort of forming a connection with people, um, you have to figure out what's a differentiator for you and your podcast, and in my instance, every other golf gambling podcast out there. Um, I do a segment at the end of my show called Final Thoughts, which really a lot of times isn't golf related. Honestly, sometimes it's just shit that's going on in my life. And like, I get some of the best responses from it because it would amaze you how many people are going through similar things, how many people will support you and people connect to you that way, right? By opening yourself up and giving the audience a piece of you and not just a piece of your golf betting advice, but a piece of what's really going on in your life. It forms a connection to that person. They feel closer to you and they're more likely to support you. And just take the other piece of it is appreciate like the following that you have like it was it's funny because i don't know how many of my followers are bots i'm sure there's some percentage but like we were at um we were at an event the other day we went to a savannah bananas baseball game i don't know if you've ever been but it's pretty cool so we took the kids there and it was in a minor league baseball stadium and they announced the attendance and the place was sold out but it's in a minor league park and they were like there's eleven thousand four hundred people at this game right and I'm like, 
it kind of hit me because I'm like, holy, like that's almost the same number of people who follow me on Twitter for golf yeah. stuff. And I'm looking around at the amount of people that 11,400 people is. And it kind of like floored me for a minute. And I'm like, wow, that many people. And not all of them are glued and care that much. But it's like it's still sort of a humbling experience to think that that many people that you don't know, that I don't know as personal friends that I didn't know growing up have chosen just to follow me because they like what I'm doing and they like the content that I produce around sort of PGA tour and professional golf. And just to remain humble, try to connect with your audience on some sort of level and differentiating yourself, finding what it is in some sort of niche to make people come back and form that connection to you is what's worked for me so far. Yeah, I completely agree for sure. And I think that's some great advice for everyone. Well, Joe, I want to thank you for joining us again. You can find him on Twitter at Tour Picks and the Preferred Lines podcast, as well as the Jock Market Power Hour. Joe, thanks again uh, for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks, Patrick. Keep doing your thing. All right. Thanks, everyone. See you.